Good morning, and welcome to Central Church. Could we begin just with a very brief prayer? Lord, we want to be like Samuel, young Samuel this morning, and be able to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Would you speak into our lives? Would we hear from you? We want nothing more than to hear from you. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. We are in a sermon series called 24. We're looking at the 24 hours, last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And then we're picking up the story today. When they, when they are going into to taking Jesus to this kangaroo court, if you will, to, to Caiaphas. We're in Matthew 26. And the story simply begins, those who arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Let me stop right there. Remember now, if we're looking at the time frame, it's about 3 a.m. Everyone in Jerusalem is asleep, the city is quiet. They'd all had their Passover celebrations, you know, it was a holiday. And so they'd all had their celebrations with their families, and now they're worn out, and they're nestles in bed with, you know, visions of sugar plums or whatever, dancing in their heads. And, and, and everyone is quiet, except... For Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin who had gathered at his home. Because they had known, of course they had known about, about Judas. They knew the plot. They knew what was to expect. No one had to wake them. They were waiting, waiting, waiting. When is the, when is the, the accused going to show up? And so the, 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 this mob, carrying their little swords and clubs, led by Judas, escort, parade, lead Jesus to Caiaphas' house. It's about a, a mile's journey from where most Bible scholars, archaeologists, think Caiaphas' house was from the Garden of Gethsemane. They think there. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know, Ron's class has gone to the Holy Land, and, and, and frequently the tour guides will say, well, that, that we think this could be, maybe this is it, the place. Well, they think maybe could be where Caiaphas' house was, probably. That's why I like like places like, like the Garden of Gethsemane. You know Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane. There were, you know, there, there's, there's olive trees there that are 2,000 years old that were there when Jesus was there. I like the, garden. I like the Sea of Galilee, right? You know Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee. There's, there's no thinking or wondering what that. So we think, think maybe, maybe, maybe where Caiaphas' house was. About a mile away, 20-minute walk. They would have passed by the, the, the ancient priest's tombs. Some that are still there. They would have passed under the gate that Ezekiel prophesied the Messiah would pass under, Jesus pass under. They would go by the temple. I wonder if Jesus looked up at the pinnacle of the temple and remember the time when, when Satan had taken him there and said, if you, if you jump off of this temple, the angel, you're, you're not going to get hurt. The angels will swoop in and say, you won't, you, won't hurt, you won't hurt a hair on your head if you jump off of this temple. I wonder if as he was walking by there with this little mob, with their little swords and their little clubs, if he thought about those angels that were ready, those, what he earlier said, 72,000, right? Angels that could swoop in and take care of this mob if he wanted just one word. But they escorted him to Caiaphas' house, the high priest. The Bible goes on to say, where there the teachers, in the law of the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. It's the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin consisted of 70 individuals plus the high priest, the most holy, the most pious, 
the most righteous, the most educated, the wisest people of the day. You know, Rome was in charge. Rome carried the, covered the civic uh, happenings, the political happenings, the military happenings, of course. But it was this group, this group, the Sanhedrin, that covered the day-to-day life. It was a highly charged religious uh, society. These were the people that really uh, led the, the, the group. These were the ones that people looked to. These 70, 71 individuals. Let that sink in. Let that percolate in your mind a little bit. The most holy, the most righteous. If you would have taken a poll, who's the holiest person of Israel? It, it probably would have been, the poll would have been, not Jesus, probably would have been Caiaphas. He's the high priest. Most people would have said Caiaphas. And that's where they are leading Jesus. That's where this kangaroo court trial is going to take place. With the wisest, the best, the smart, the ones who knew the Torah, our Old Testament, like the back of their hand. These guys. Let me read on. Peter followed him at his distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. All the Gospels tell of Peter's uh, following, of Peter's denial. How would you like it if your worst moment of your life, the absolute worst decision you've ever made, was written... So that everyone would talk about it for the next 2,000 years. Would you want that? Your absolute worst moment in God's holy word. And there it is. And I don't think it was there. I don't think Matthew put it in there to, you know, rub it in Peter's nose. I think this most Bible scholars think, you know, Matthew was written after Peter had died. After Peter was, tradition says, uh, 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 crucified upside down. Most, most Bible scholars think these were Peter's stories. It was Peter telling of his failure. It was Peter telling of his denial. It was Peter saying, this is where I was. But look at the grace of Jesus. This is how, uh, this is how messed up I was, but, but because of Jesus. So Peter said, so we're not going to focus in on Peter, but it's an interesting that all four Gospels remind us. Verse 59, the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they didn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward. It gives you the feel of kind of like a Monty Python skit. You know, they're bringing in all these people. He turned me into a newt. Well, I got better. You know, what's going on here? It's kind of crazy. They brought in all these false witnesses. You know, none, none, none. You know, it was just all for naught. And then finally... Two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. They're twisting Jesus' words. He's not talking about the temple that they just passed. He's talking about himself. Of course, they're twisting Jesus. Don't you love it when people twist your words? Pastor, I heard you say blah, 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 blah on Sunday in the sermon. Did I say that? I don't remember saying that. That happens. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Me, I would have said something. So these guys are liars. 
He said, what, what's going on here? You guys are, are this, is, this is a kangaroo court. You guys are quacks. I would have said, I'm sure I would have said something. I just know me. I would have said something. But he remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath. Are you the living God? Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, before we get to his answer, let's just step back again. Again, these are, this is, these are the, the most holy. The ones who knew their Bible better than anybody. They knew scripture like the back of their hand. And they're looking eye to eye with Jesus. Now, even if you're not a Jesus follower, even if you're just kind of testing the waters, you know that Jesus is a remarkable person. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. See, of course, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus, Jesus came, you know, at Christmas we celebrate, we call him Emmanuel, God is with us. But Jesus isn't just, just uh, uh, dressed up in a holy, holy person. Jesus isn't just a great prophet of God. We believe that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus' words, those red words, those words written in red ink in your, in your New Testament are, are holy words from God himself, that the, the Sermon on the Mount is the most remarkable document uh, 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 ever spoken, that Jesus' word came and Jesus is, was powerful and true, that those miracles that you read about are true, that Jesus came and he, and he fed thousands, he healed hundreds, he raised at least three from the dead. I believe all that stuff is true. And these guys, these guys, these guys, they knew it. Some of them were there. Probably some of them ate that free bread and fish lunch. They heard the stories. They saw Lazarus walking around Jerusalem. Some of them had been there. Remember that story when the guys opened the hole in the, in the roof and lowered, lowered the, 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 the lame friend down? And remember Jesus' words to him? He didn't say, get up and you're healed. What did Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. Oh, that sent ripples through the religious crowd. But they were there, they saw it, they saw it, they saw it. They saw all these things, they heard the words of Jesus. They're looking eye to eye with Jesus Christ. These ones were the most holy people who should have known. That's what I'm trying to say, they should have known, right? So are you the one? Are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus responds, you have said so. The uh, Mark's version of Jesus' response is in Mark chapter 14. Mark's words are ego iomi in Greek. I am. Now, if Jesus would have continued that, I am the guy you're talking about. I am the one who, who turned the, the, the water into wine. I am the guy that fed 5,000 people. I am the guy that, that, that told that, that lame guy, you know, your sins are forgiven. If he would have said that, if he would have gone on, if he would have carried on, that would have been one thing. But he simply said, Ego me. I am. Which was kind of a trigger word. They all knew what Jesus was talking about. Their mind went back to Exodus chapter 3. Remember the burning bush with Moses? Who am I going to say, call him? And, and God Almighty, the, 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 the voice of God, said, you say, I am, I am who I am. Ego me. Hebrew, Yahweh. Who are you, Jesus? Yahweh. Then he went on. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Again, immediately, 
those guys would have known what Jesus is saying. This isn't just, just words, calling himself the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven. They would have known. You, don't, you, you probably haven't memorized, but they did, Daniel chapter 7. And the vision of what the, what the Messiah was going to be. In Daniel 7, Daniel says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one of the Son of Man coming from the clouds of heaven. <laughs> Sound familiar? And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence and he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and people in every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Jesus said, that's me. You got me. I am the Son of Man coming in the clouds sitting at the right hand of the mighty one. Again, the right hand of the mighty one. It's just something that passes over our head. It wouldn't have those guys. Their mind would have gone to, to Psalm chapter 110, the 110th Psalm. When, when Jesus said, the Lord said to, my, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. wonder who those enemies are. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on, on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew in the morning's womb. The Lord has, has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Who's Melchizedek? He's that mysterious king that came to Abraham, brought wine and bread. A foretaste of what Jesus just did with his disciples. Lord's Supper, wine and bread. And these guys would have known what Jesus is saying, that he is this great king and priest, both. And so in one quick sentence, all it was was one sentence, Jesus, Jesus answered them, I am who I am, Yahweh. I am the, the son of man, the Messiah. I am this great priest and king, the king, the king of righteousness who's coming to your midst. Woo! How do you think those fellas felt about that? <laughs> How do you think they responded to Jesus saying all of those things? Then the high priest tore his clothes. Gives me the feeling of like Hulk Hogan, you know. It's like ripping his clothes. Up. Ah! He has spoken blasphemy. Why do you need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death. The, the, the Sanhedrin couldn't condemn anyone to death. So Jesus died on a cross. That was a Roman execution. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to his Messiah, who hit you? <sighs> okay, back where we started. Jesus has gotten the flesh, looking at them eye to eye. These guys who knew the Torah like the back of their hand. How could this happen? How could Jesus make this bold proclamation? And they know all the things that Jesus has done. And they know what scripture says. And they, they're the most holy, the most righteous, the most pious. And these pillars of the community, they're spitting at Jesus? Are you kidding me? Slapping him? Mocking him? How, how could this happen? Is there no decency? Is there no public decorum? These are the most holy people. 
What drove them to this debased level? Do you see, do you see what I'm asking? I asked, my, I asked my home group. We had home group a couple nights this week, and so I asked my home groups, uh, what did they think? You know, why, why, why do you think they responded the way they did? And somebody sent power. You know, they were, they were afraid that they were losing their grip on power. They knew that the crowds were clamoring after Jesus and they were calling after Jesus and they could see their power. You know, they were in authority and Jesus is, is preaching good news to the poor and sometimes good news to the poor is bad news to the rich and they, he was preaching good news to the down and out and sometimes good news to the down and out is bad news to the up and, and, and in. And so maybe they saw, they saw that. They were losing their grip on power. Could be. Someone said fear. They were fearful, fearful of the, of the Romans. You know, the Romans, Romans like peace. And if anything upset the, the peace, then the Romans, you know, they threatened to come in and wipe everybody out, which is exactly what they did in, in AD 70. The Romans came and wiped everybody out. And so maybe, maybe, maybe that's what's going on here. They were fearful. You know, God has put in us uh, a self-preservation instinct. Every one of us has that. That's, that's not bad. That's good. You know, if a mean dog comes around, rah, 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 you know, we shy away. If you're walking, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you get too close to the edge, you know, you kind of shy away. If Carla says, don't eat that last bit of ice cream, and you just happen to, you kind of, you know, shy away. I don't know what happened to it. I'm so glad we have someone else living in our house now. They can take the blame sometimes. (laughs) It's not me. It was probably Lisa. I don't know why. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. Carla knows too. (laughs) You know, he's given us a self-preservation instinct. The problem is, the problem is, we also are, 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 have what we call original sin. This bent towards sinning. This bent towards doing what's wrong. This twisting of, of, of what God has provided for good and turning it into something bad. So when this self-preservation instinct meets up with our sin instinct, what happens too often is that sometimes people do the unthinkable. Because of their fear. Just have to look in history. It's the Salem witch trials. It's Nazi Germany. It's Jim Crow laws in our country. It's the Russian president painting the Ukrainians as if they're Nazis. It's going on right now. Fear does fear is a powerful motivator. Don't believe me? Wait till election season. If not this November, certainly in the presidential election. And the ads you'll see, they're all based on fear. They're, they're, they're mudslinging on both sides. If you elect him, this is what's going to happen. If you elect her, this is what they're, they're evil, they're bad, they're evil. That's what's going to happen. It's based on fear. Fear motivates. It motivates people to do the unthinkable. It motivated these to condemn Jesus. So maybe it was their power, maybe it was their fearfulness. Someone suggested in home group that they, they simply misread scripture. They, they, they had the idea that the Messiah was going to come in riding on this white horse and chase the Romans out and sit on the throne and everything. And they had it all figured out in their head. Even though they read scripture, they, they misquoted it, they misread it, they mis, misinterpreted it, they misused it. Again, they, they read it wrong. This, did you see... Did you see that during a speech in Moscow for the pro-war that President Putin quoted Jesus. Did you see that? 
He, he, he quoted that, you know, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. He quoted Jesus in his pro-war speech. He quoted Jesus. Beware. Just because someone uses scripture does not mean that they are being godly. Beware. Just because someone can twist scripture. Satan twisted scripture when Jesus was, was tempted. He used three different passages twisting scripture for his own gain. It still happens today. And whenever you hear someone twisting scripture, whether it's for political gain or nationalistic gain or monetary gain or whatever gain, sometimes even it happens in churches, beware when people are twisting scripture. We need to get in. If it's not pointing to Jesus, then it is twisting scripture. I probably need to say that again and again and again. Beware. The kingdom of God is bigger. It's bigger than a nation. The kingdom of God is bigger bigger than a church the kingdom of god is bigger bigger than a person what about you when facing circumstances in your life do you inquire the lord we pray at the beginning of the sermon speak lord your servant is listening do you do that what happens if you do that i think our prayers too often our prayers are too wordy we speak too much and listen too little we say what prayer is, is conversations with God, right? Well, too often it's a monologue. It needs to be a dialogue. I want to listen. I want to spend time listening to the Lord. What does God have to say? And then when we hear from the Lord, when we hear him speak, when we know it's from God, how do we know it's from God? Well, is it biblical? Is it kind? Is it good? Can I see Jesus doing that? Is it Christ-like? When we know it's from the Lord, then we respond. Part of my sabbatical, I went to um, a conference just at the end uh, called the Exponential Conference in Orlando, Florida. And so this one, this one service, the guy speaking was a guy named Peter Gregg. If you have never heard of Peter Gregg, he is an author. He led a prayer movement in Great Britain. Huge prayer movement, 24-hour, seven prayer movement, seven-day-a-week prayer movement for the last... 15 years, wrote a book called Red Moon Rising. I've heard him preach before. He's an excellent preacher. So he was one of the reasons why I wanted to go to the conference. So he's going to speak. And I figured it's going to be a prayer, prayer sermon. Because that's, that's what he does. Well, I get in. I sit next to a guy. Find out, you know, small talk before the service begins. Hi, how are you? What's your name? Jeff. I would soon forget Jeff's name. Jeff, where, where are you from? I'm from Florida, planting a church. Where are you, Rob, Flint, Michigan, that sort of thing. And he's preaching this sermon. In the middle of the sermon, he says, you know, we need to pray. And what I'd like for you to do is pair up with someone. And we're going to seek the Lord and ask the Lord if the Lord has something uh, for this individual that you're paired up with. Well, let me just preface what I'm going to say is by saying... I don't generally believe when people say what I'm about to say to you. I'm a super uh, skeptic when it comes to these things. But I was there. It happened to me. So I guess I believe it. So we're supposed to pair up. We're supposed to take time, quiet ourselves, and, and hear from the Lord for the individuals that you're paired up with. The guy on the other side of me, he was from New York. He was with his friends. He wasn't going to be paired up with me. I, w- I was going to be with Jeff. And Jeff was going to be with me. So, okay, we quiet ourselves. And Jeff prayed first for me. 
And he prayed your basic prayer that, you know, a preacher would pray for another preacher in a circumstance like that. Lord, be with Rob, be with Flint, blah, blah, blah. And it was my turn to pray for Jeff. I didn't even remember his name. And so I had quieted myself. And when I had quieted myself, I'm thinking, all I could think of, this is the weirdest thing, all I could think of was boats. Boats, 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 boats. I don't know why I was thinking about boats. I, you know, I don't own a boat. I don't know if Jeff owned a boat. I, you know, been raining all day. Maybe the Lord wanted me to tell Jeff, you know, build an ark, grab some animals, you know, hop on board. I don't know. Boats, 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 boats. And so, so when it's my turn to pray for Jeff, I, I turn to him and I, and I apologize. I don't remember your name. My name is Jeff. Okay. Well, Jeff, this is, this is, this is what I was thinking. The only thing that came to my mind, this is probably the craziest thing ever. This probably doesn't mean anything to you whatsoever. But the whole time I was quieting before the Lord, the only thing I kept thinking of was boats, 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 boats. Does, does, does that mean anything at all to you? And Jeff got really quiet. And he said, as a matter of fact, it does mean something to me. He said before COVID, and he had told me that he had planted a church six months before COVID. And then COVID hit, you know, and it was really difficult. He said before COVID, and before I started planting the church, I started a kayak ministry. And we started off with five kayakers, and we'd get together on Saturday, and we'd have like a little Bible study, and then we'd go out kayaking. And by the end, just before COVID hit, we had 75 kayakers showing up. So it was really awesome. But then COVID hit and we stopped doing it. And he said, just yesterday, just yesterday, I was struggling and I was praying with the Lord and it really felt like the Lord was saying, you got to start that kayak ministry again. And I kept telling God, I can't start that kayak ministry again. I'm so busy and I'm planting the church. I'm trying to keep it all together. I don't have time for that. He goes, and I was wrestling with God all day yesterday. And now you show up and you say, the only thing you're thinking about are boats and boats and boats and boats. Yeah, I think the Lord is speaking. guess what I'm saying is would you open yourself up to allow the Lord to speak to you how do I know it's from the Lord well is it biblical is it encouraging could you see Jesus doing it I don't think I don't think is it common sense in some ways you know I don't think God's going to come to you and say tell that guy sitting down in front of you to you know marry that girl I don't think that's going to happen but it might, it might be something where you have to step out of your, your comfort zone a little bit and say, you know, this is, this is a little crazy. Does it make any sense to you? I think God sometimes, if we open ourselves up, he'll speak to us. And too often we kind of poo-poo it. No, that can't be from the Lord, but maybe it is. Those, those Sanhedrin, they totally discounted, didn't even, didn't even choir the Lord. What about you?